Hey everybody, welcome to Morpheus Radio. My name is Joel Jameson, founder of Morpheus and Eight Weeks Out. In each episode, we'll connect you with the brightest minds in recovery, nutrition, longevity, and human performance. If you like what you hear, make sure to take a few seconds to subscribe and share the knowledge. You can learn more at trainwithmorpheus.com. Now on to the show. And we are live. Mike Robertson, welcome to Morpheus Radio. Dude, thanks for having me, man. Excited to be here. This should be fun. Joel, yeah, always I've, I've been in, to you. Yeah, I've been on Mike's podcast, I don't know, a bunch of times. This is the first four time we've had him on. Four or five, yeah, I'm a regular on <laughs> So First time we've had you on this one, so it's uh, great to have you back or have you for the first time to talk some more. Yeah, this is awesome, man. Yeah, I think a great place to start, Mike, uh, you know, just assuming that a lot of people listening to this podcast probably know who you are, but some may not. Uh, maybe give us a little bit of your background and introduction, uh, who you serve, how you serve them, kind of how you got to where you are. Yeah. So I always try and compress this because I feel like it's been a long 21 years, like longer than most. <laughs> but I, I always joke around and say that I've seen basically every nook and cranny of the fitness industry um, over the years. I spent two years at a D1 school where I was a graduate assistant, and then I was also a volunteer strength and conditioning coach when I was at Ball State. Got done with school there. If you would have asked me in 2002, I would have given you my life savings, which wasn't a lot at the time, but I would have told you I was going to be a D1 strength coach and put my resume literally across the country, got zero interviews, zero callbacks. So I, I took a job that was like an hour and a half away in beautiful Fort Wayne, Indiana, and got sold the dream of, hey, man, you're going to be training. You're going to be working with athletes. The place was called the Athletic Performance Center. I got to start it from the ground up. And it sounded great until I got there and realized they didn't have any clients or athletes. And I was basically rehabbing people uh, for my entire tenure there. So I had a handful of, of people that I got to work with. And I had a handful of, of athletes that I got to spend time with, but a lot of time rehabbing. And you know, at the time, it wasn't the dream job for sure, but it taught me a lot and it gave me a skill set that I didn't have at that time. So that's when I really dove into like the idea of functional anatomy, of corrective exercise, which is what we called it way back in the day of assessing people, right? Like a novel idea, assess people and then figure out what they actually need and give it to them. So I spent three years in rehab, knew that wasn't the long-term play. So I moved down to Indianapolis and I took a job and I did one-on-one in-home personal training for three years. So we're talking some of the the major players here in, in Indianapolis, CEOs, CFOs, um, lawyers, docs, like some really high-end professionals. And in, in the positive sense, it got me to Indianapolis, which is where I, my wife and I both knew we wanted to be. But that wasn't really the dream gig either. So it was funny when I moved down here, Alan Cosgrove sent both Bill Hartman and I an email. And he just said, hey, you guys are in the same city. You guys like know the same people and you're interested in fitness, you should hang out. So basically, Bill and I hung out every week for about two, two and a half years. And there was one week where he was just like, you know, I'm managing PT clinics and I'm working six days a week and you're driving all over God's creation, training people one-on-one in-home. Like, why don't we consolidate this and open a gym? So in 2008, we opened iFast. 12 and a half years later, I'd like to think we've been fairly successful. No got a couple accolades, uh, you know, train people all across the spectrum from gin pop to young athletes to elite high-end professional athletes at this point. So that is like the long and short of it. But I mean, you know, coming back full circle, I talked about seeing all the nooks and crannies. I mean, rehab, 
personal training, high-end sports performance, uh, one-on-one, small group, large group. I've basically done it all at some point in my career. So I feel like it gives me a unique perspective. And all of those experiences have kind of helped forge and mold me into the coach that I am today. Yeah, you've, right. you've had a hell, of a hell of a journey, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, one thing I think that's it's really interesting, it's kind of hearing your story, and it's, it's similar to stuff I've done over the years, is I think over the years you, you develop kind of a model and you test that model and you refine that model and you improve that model and you're constantly trying to build this idea of like, here's how I think fitness works, here's how I think this whole process plays out, and you're constantly trying to get that get better at it. But one of the problems I've seen today, and I want to get your thoughts on this, Mike, is is newer coaches and just everyday people who are just trying to work out, they're just bombarded with information about everything in fitness at all points in time. It's Instagram exercises, it's 10 different blog posts, it's this different course. That I mean, there's so much information that I feel like a lot of times people in this industry, they're just overloaded without ever getting to a real model or having a really good understanding of some of the fundamentals. They're just throwing stuff at the wall, trying exercises, trying this, trying that. But you've been, like you said, through every nook and cranny. Can you talk a little bit maybe about just your your evolution as like a coach in terms of how you look at human performance and wellness? And like, I know it's a big question, but how do you, uh, how have you developed kind of your system and your model? Because I know you and Bill have a really good one that obviously works tremendously well. So I'd be curious just to get your thoughts on that. Because I think that's something people are lacking. Yeah. Okay. So first off, this is a great question. And I, I always joke around. I kind of show my age when I talk about, you know, when I was coming up, like we had muscle magazines, right? It was mm-hmm. like muscle and fitness and flex. Yeah, and did. like, that's, that's what yeah. we learned from, right? Dude, they're they're like, still there. They're still I know. There. I know. And then People like when the internet them. came, <laughs> got to get the muscle confusion in, right? Yeah, yeah, but, you do. But, you know, so we started with that and then we graduated and the internet became a thing and we had T Nation and like, that was such a great resource. And Dude, there were, there was more, there were more gatekeepers then. Yeah, right? do, you have muscle, so, do, you have muscle, do you have Muscle Media 2000 magazine somewhere uh, in your stash somewhere? I, I might. I might. Like, that's when I was like, okay, this is a, this is different, right? Like, that one was different. It had a different vibe. And, yeah, the, the dudes were jacked, but, like, better authors. It wasn't just bodybuilding-type information. You had Pollock one actually, like, talking about strength development. But, I mean, there was so – there was so much less information, so it made it easier to process. Now, you're absolutely right. It's overwhelming. And if I wanted to learn about conditioning coming out of college right now, like how many pieces of information could I find in the Google machine when I type in conditioning? It's overwhelming. So it's funny that you ask this because I actually reference you and Lee Taft because I always felt like when I was coming up, I had a good idea of the strength game. Um, strength training was a huge piece of athletic development in the late 90s and early 2000s. So I felt like I understood that piece. But as I started working with more athletes, I started to realize, man, there's a lot more to this than, than what I understand, right? And I didn't give conditioning its value. And so it was around 2009, 2010, I was working with this young soccer player, and she had to pass a conditioning test. Right. This is this is ridiculous. But like to make the soccer team at her school, she had to pass a conditioning test. Hmm. And I realized, man, like I'm not prepared to write this program like I wasn't. And so that's what really got me into your stuff, Joel, is like, man, like this guy understands conditioning. So that was how I did it. And I think if you're listening to this and you're a young coach and you're overwhelmed, here's what I would do. Seek out like one reference to start with, like a trusted resource. For me, Joel, it was you. Right. And I bought your book and I listened to your seminars and I just took everything that I could from you. And that gave me a foundation. 
and it gave me a filter, which is even more important, right? Because now anytime I listen to somebody, now I can go listen to Patrick Ward and he may say stuff a little bit differently, but I can put it through the filter of your information. I can listen to Mark McLaughlin and take his information and put it into what you do. But it was that foundation and creating that filter that was so important because now if I see somebody doing something idiotic, I'm like, oh, that person's an idiot, right? Like I would never do that. And I did the same thing when it came to speed training a couple of years later. I dove into everything I could from Lee Taft. So he was kind of the model that I used. And then I could start pulling and assimilating from other people. And that gives you kind of the freedom to make it your own over time. But I think that's what I did is like I found somebody that I trusted and I knew was a sound resource and then I built from there. Yeah, I think I think that's a huge point, Mike, because the reality is the Internet is the lowest barrier to entry in the history of the world. Right. Like any (laughs) (laughs) any idiot can post whatever they want on the Internet. And if you don't know any better, you you don't know any better. And so when I was again the same story, I'm old when I was coming up, uh, it was the same thing. And like the first kind of big group I got into is this Yahoo group called Super Training. Yes. Mel, Sith, yes. Mel yeah. Sith ran, right? Like, yes. So then when you started reading through the group of people, like these were legitimate people and they are all uh, extremely accomplished in different fields. And you had Mel Sif writing the whole thing. I spent four days at Mel Sif's house sleeping on this floor, like learning from Mel Sif. So back then, like I, I started the same way. Like I would find the people that I trusted and that had real credible uh, experience and real people behind them that they trained and real uh, you know, success that showed that what they were teaching was legitimate. But now, like I said, any dipshit with a keyboard can post whatever they want on the internet. Uh, yeah. and, you're gonna, and you're gonna see it on Instagram, you're gonna see it on Facebook. And because they have a 10,000 followers or 100,000 followers or a million followers, like that unfortunately has become validation in a lot of the ways that people cre- give people credibility. Oh, this person's got 25,000 followers or a million followers. They obviously know they're talking about. No, they might not. They might just post the shit on Instagram all the damn day long. Like that's all they right. do. So I think that that's really the, the most important thing is be really mindful of who it is that you're learning from. What are, what are their credentials? What is their experience? Who have they worked with? What is their real success level? And if they're, their greatest claim to fame is they have X number of followers, they post five times a day, that doesn't necessarily qualify you to be a fitness expert. That just makes you someone who posts shit on social media all day long. Right. And like, I, I just always come back to when you're, when you're evaluating content, like the filter can't be strong enough. So think about back to those super training days and man, I can't wait to do one of these in like 10 or 20 years. We're going to be so old then. And just like <laughs> talking about back in the day, yeah. but like Mel Sif was like moderating every message. That came through that. And he was like a research level editor. Like he was breaking all this down. There is no editing now. So like you have, you have to be, you just have to be conscious who you give your time and attention to. And like you said, you have to go to trusted resources. And here's something that I think is important when you're working with these people, absolutely take what they have, absorb it, use it, but also question like, okay, but is that exactly why he says it is because one thing we're always getting better at is the why, right? Like some of the crazy stuff, like Bill and I were having this discussion the other day, like Paul, when used to talk about like driving your knees super far over your toes. And at first everybody's like, Oh, he's crazy. Oh, you're going to destroy your knees. And then Bill and I were talking the other day. We're like, Oh wait, what if that gets your quad to actually like shut off a little bit and it gets internal rotation at your ankle, at your knee. And you're like, Oh, Okay, that maybe that makes sense. And maybe that doesn't validate all the other stuff that he said that was crazy. 
but well, it gives I mean, you, you like this new frame of reference. That that doesn't explain why you gained twelve pounds of muscle from avocados and yes, <laughs> yes, yes. It was the organic avocados. Yeah, yeah. and the totally hundred eighty grams of of intravenous uh, vitamin C. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, guys, turn you into a giant orange, basically, or lemon, or whatever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I, I got a question for both you guys because you're you're both achieved some success. You both have certifications and you've educated a lot of different people. And I'm wondering, you know, if I'm a younger coach who maybe has established their own framework or methodology, right? At what point did you individually think, okay, it's time for me to put all the pieces together, create a certification and get this out there. It's time for me to share it all. When did you guys have those aha moments? Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Uh, way too late. Uh, so, 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 well, number one, it was seeing Joel do it and seeing the success that he had with it, because I think there's always a little bit of imposter syndrome, like, who am I to do this? Why should I do this? There's, you know, like there's all of these thoughts. But for me, education was always part of who I was. And, and way before I should have been educating people, right? Like I was writing for this like fringe powerlifting magazine called Monster Muscle in like 2001, 2002. And I was a trash powerlifter at the time. Like I was not good. <laughs> but, but, I always wanted to educate. And I think there's something to that. Like there's a certain personality type that just enjoys giving back and wants to teach and educate young people and young coaches. So it's always been a part of me. And so that's why I got into writing. That's why I wrote for T Nation for so long. It's why I started creating like the fitness information products, right? Like the DVDs and speaking at seminars. But you know, the thing that really brought it together for me was... I think Eric Cressy and I released Magnificent Mobility in 2006. And it was like 2014 or so. And somebody was like, hey, man, you've got like 20 products that you've created. Maybe it was more. 20, 25, 30 products. If I could just buy one, what would it be? And I didn't have a good answer. Like I had all kinds of niche stuff, right? Like if you want to improve your mobility, buy this. You got knee pain, buy this. Uh, But I didn't have one product that was like, hey, you're a young trainer and you need to get better. Go buy this. So that's when I shot uh, the physical prep 101 product. We did a seminar in Ireland, shot it, recorded it. Uh, So if you ever get your hands on that, all of the people have Irish accents when they're asking questions, which can be somewhat challenging if you're not used to that sort of thing. But yeah, once I got that out there and I realized, okay, there is a market for this. People do want this information. And I saw Joel have so much success with BioForce. I was like, I got to do this. I got to clean it up. I got to make it look the way I want it to. And so, man, I don't think I dropped it until 2018, 2019. But that's, I, I just kind of knew like, it's time to give the people what they want and, and provide something that young coaches can take and educate themselves with. And vert, I don't want to say overnight, because I hate when people say that overnight. But, you know, in short order, start seeing more success, because I feel like you got to have some easy wins if you're really going to buy in and start using something. Yeah. I mean, I, I was somewhat similar that I, I wrote my first book, uh, ultimate MMA conditioning, which, which you talked about back in 2009, which is a long time ago now. And to be honest, when I launched that thing, I was like, uh, 50, 50, this thing tanks or does well. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I, there was no way to know. I'd never written a book before and it, it did really well, really right off, right off the bat. You know, I was getting people from rugby and people from, uh, track and field, like a bunch of athletes and coaches were emailing me and asking me questions from the book. I'm like, this is ultimate MMA conditioning. Like, 
uh, it, it was pretty obvious that like all these different coaches that weren't conditioning coaches or athletes were lacking something and that something was how to put conditioning into a more systematic format that was science-based, but still easy to apply and understand because it wasn't written like a textbook. And so I just saw the need. And, I, and then I, when I started seeing the success people have, and when people are emailing you and, and telling you like, hey, I, I applied your principles and I went out and won my fight or I made the team or I, you know, whatever, I, I did this or that. It, it's really rewarding to just see other people had success because of something you've written and something you've put together to educate them. And so it just it inspires you, motivates you. And so as I started getting more and more people asking me to consult with them from a team standpoint and more and more people asking me to help them, uh, you know, improve their conditioning for whatever purpose and the more success I saw them have, the more I wanted to continue to educate. And so I realized, you know, ultimate conditioning was, was great, but it was a book and there was only so much I could teach in that format. And, you know, I was kind of like, do I really want to write an entire new book or do I want to put together a more comprehensive resource where I can bring in other experts like you and Dr. Uh, Mike and, you know, Chris Duffin and all these other people and that's really where like, I, I decided, like, let's take all this and synthesize it down into a, into a certification course where I can do 18 hours of material rather than, you know, forcing people to read a book for 25 hours. And um, it, it's, it's just a matter of, like, again, wanting to help people because you realize there's a struggle and you hear people overcome that struggle with your information and you want to just keep doing that. You want to help people uh, become better coaches or people become better athletes. And, you know, anytime you see people struggling and have a challenge and you think you have a solution that can help them like you want to put it together in a way that's going to do that as effectively as possible and so that's really where where I've always approached things and like I said the more success you see people have the more you want to keep giving back the more you want to keep being successful with it I, I never launched you know old made conditioning or anything with the goal of being a you know an online fitness expert or whatever I, I just did it because I wanted people to know how to train for fights better and I saw them doing a lot of dumb shit and I thought I could help with them <laughs> you know that it literally was <laughs> The motivation was was eliminate some of the idiotic stuff I was seeing and help people make better choices so they didn't get injured uh, or lose their fight because they're gassing out and it just went from there. So I I want to tackle this one too with you guys. It's it's so great having you both here. Um, <clears throat> so the recover to win course, Joel, that will be out by the time this recording is is released. And Mike, you came in, you you really uh, nailed the segment on breathing for recovery. And I think, uh, you know, first of all, I guess I was surprised, but not surprised to see such a big component of Joel's course, having you focus on the breathing part, right? I think it's mm -hmm. grossly misunderstood for most, well, most human beings and as well, the fitness industry. So maybe can give us some background on when did you start to see that breathing was such a big part of performance recovery and how, you know, for coaches, uh, how can they start incorporating it better into their practice? Yeah. So I think around 2012, 2013, the, the industry started coming around to this. I mean, I was, I was put in front of people that were, I mean, shoot Craig Liebenson. I think I met him in 2003 and he was like talking about breathing assessments and belly breathing. And, you know, it was around 2011, 2012, when we really start figuring out, okay, there's more to it than just belly breathing. We're looking at expansion. Bill has continued to refine that model of just kind of expansion and contraction or expansion and compression. So I, I think too often in our industry, humans are complex, right? But we love to like break things down and make it very reductionistic. So people took that, oh, you know, breathing is important. And they just said, oh, belly breathing is important. And that's all they kind of left it at. 
versus looking at, well, okay, there's a lot of layers to this, right? There's like the nervous system impact that breathing has on your body. There's the impact it has on your movement system. And a lot of times, I mean, I know Joel has, has seen Bill work his magic a little bit, but man, it's amazing where you get some breaths in the right space or you kind of shift this or wiggle that and all of a sudden your shoulder has more range of motion. So it's it's one of those things where people take it for granted, right? And people love to like knock it too, right? Like people like make fun of us. Oh yeah, I fast. They just hang out and breathe the whole session. Like, no, not really how it works. It's a piece of the puzzle because a lot of the people that we see have movement limitations. And so you can band traction it or foam roll it or do whatever you do every day for the rest of your life. Or we can give you strategies that you can use like proper breathing, tie that into a proper exercise program, right? With the right exercises and the right cues so that over time you expand your movement capacity versus continuing to reduce it. Because look, like that's what we see a lot of times, right? We assume, and and part of this is perpetuated by like older trainers or, or just older people in general. And they assume like, oh, the older you get, like, the worse you have to feel and the the less range of motion you have to have. And maybe, but I'm a big believer that if you take care of yourself and you work to maintain some semblance of balance between strength, mobility, uh, conditioning, like you can move at a really high level for a really long period of time. So it's kind of our thought process. Hey, instead of just assuming that you just continuously get worse from when you're like 35 on, and you have less range of motion and less strength and less power and life just sucks more the older you get, I'd rather have an opposite viewpoint of, hey, like let's make you as robust and resilient as possible. And breathing is a part of that equation because I think we all know if you're doing this the right way and you're you're using the right exercises, hey man, this can make a big impact on how you move and how you feel. So I'm a huge believer in it, obviously. Uh, it's a big piece of my puzzle, and we've had a lot of success with with a wide variety of people, too. It's not like, oh, these gin pop people have success, but these athletes don't. Like Everybody we work with has some degree of success using these types of exercises in their program. Hey, everybody. Quick time out to ask you a question. Have you heard about the Morpheus 30-Day Recovery Challenge? Well, the not-so-secret secret is out. Better health and fitness starts with better recovery. During each monthly challenge, you'll get to compete with people from all over the world to win prizes while learning how to unlock the power of recovery. We've partnered with world-renowned experts in areas like sleep, stress, mobility, and recovery science to help you level up your fitness, maximize your performance, and live a healthier and longer life. The best part is that the challenge is absolutely free. All you need is a Morpheus recovery system to join. Don't have Morpheus yet? Just go to trainwithmorpheus.com forward slash challenge to learn more about how it all works and how to get in on the next challenge. Better recovery means better results. Trainwithmorpheus.com slash challenge. And Joel, what about you, man? What with your coaching, your training career, what what have you what have you focused on when it comes to proper breathing for recovery? And how is that how's that piece of the puzzle work for you? So, you know, breathing is, is one of those things, like Mike mentioned, you started to see it mentioned more and more. It was getting more uh, discussion within the fitness coaching community. And again, it comes back to what we talked about earlier, like, who do you trust, right? Who Who is the person you're going to go to to learn this side of things? And I'd, always, I'd been friends with Mike and Bill and knew how 
smart they were. And this is something they've been really diving into. And it was something I wanted to learn more about. And then kind of just as uh, circumstances happened, I was at their seminar at the IFAST uh, seminar back in, I have no idea what year, but quite a few years ago now. And I'd had a chronic shoulder problem and I tried like everything under the sun from active release to acupuncture to uh, just all kinds of different stuff, trying to get my shoulder to stop giving me problems. And it was, it was the point where it was waking me up at night and I was thinking I was going to have to get surgery because I'd separated it uh, and had some just pretty horrific stuff from skiing um, and just kind of figured I'd just beat the hell out of it over the years. Uh, and it was just, I could, I could make it, I could make it better for a few days with different treatments, but just nothing was sticking. And so I went out to their seminar and I was talking about conditioning or whatever. And, uh, you know, I mentioned to, to either Mike or Bill, I was having a shoulder problem and Bill was like, Oh, let me see what I can do. And, you know, he puts me down on their table and he starts having me go to some, some, some assessments and looks at my breathing and my rib cage. And he just spends maybe 10 or 15 minutes taking me through some breathing exercises and some mobilizations focused around that. And, you know, I got up off the table. I'm like, Oh, this feels a lot better. Like I'm not having the same pains when I'm, uh, just going through different ranges of motion, like oh, this, this feels good. Uh, but again, like other treatments had also accomplished something pretty similar. Like you know, getting to feel better for a, a few hours or a day or two uh, was something I'd done over and over again. But I kind of assumed that after that it would go back to to normal because you know, not to downplay it, but it, it didn't it didn't feel uh, the same as like doing a really hard soft tissue treatment or doing some of the other things I'd done. And so just intuitively, like well, I breathing can't make that big of a difference. Like it feels better, but uh, you know, I was was not expecting a dramatic long-term change. And then sure enough, two, three, four days later, my shoulder still felt great. A week later, two weeks later, my shoulder still felt great. And it was just it was just this massive, like, holy shit moment where all of a sudden these exercises that I had done with Bill had treated and, and fixed something that's been spending months trying to fix and dozens of other treatments trying to fix. And this was the one thing that actually stuck. And so that was really my, like, this thing has a lot more uh, importance than I'd probably been giving it credit for. And so that's when I started to dig in more to Mike and Bill's stuff. And I started to really try to learn as much as I could about this and started incorporating into my own training and the training of people I was working with. Uh, and it's really why I asked uh, both Mike and Bill to be a part of my certification course and Mike to jump into recover to win. Um, just because, you know, as I kept using it, it kept working. And like men Mike mentioned, it's not just for athletes or it's not just for one type of client breathing is essential to how, we all function as human beings. It's central to our movement. It's central to our autonomic nervous system, which kind of ties the whole thing together. And so the more you incorporate the stuff, the more you realize it, it is a key component. And then kind of going back to our idea of like, let's find the trusted people to learn from. Well, Mike and Bill are my trusted people to learn from this area. They know it inside and out as well as anyone. They've used it in their own practice themselves. Uh, and this is one of their you know key competencies that I think they're as good or better than anybody else in the world at. So, you know, why would I not want to put uh, these guys into my own education courses to share their their knowledge and experience so maybe mike do you want to give a little piece about just a short thing about you know how can the average person start incorporating some of the stuff i mean, know you have 10 articles you have your own courses they can find my courses but how does the average person who says man i, I just want to dig in this breathing stuff what do i do what do i start how can i how can i try it i guess it's probably the easiest thing to do yeah i mean wow that's a loaded question <laughs> it, it, I know, um, it is well, first off, I recover to win. So there's step one. Um, Perfect. Sh shameless plug. <laughs> um, there's actually a really good book. It's called Anatomy of Breathing. Um, and that was one of the first kind of like, it's it's not really a textbook. I love it because I'm a very visual person. It's probably why I'm in coaching. Um, but it gives like a good understanding of like how breathing works, how it impacts the body. Um, you know, a lot of times you don't, even if you've got 
a pretty good anatomy background, you don't talk a lot about like the rib cage and intercostals and, you know, all these uh, breathing muscles that, that kind of basically lie around the thorax. So that's a good book to check out. Uh, but here's what I always tell people. Going into the topic of like using a using breathing to like reset your movement can be challenging because everybody's got their own little issues that they're working with. But if I want somebody to just start buying in right away, what I'll generally do is at the end of every session, knock your session out, do whatever you do. And then what I want you to do at the end is for three minutes, all I want you to do is inhale through your nose, exhale through your mouth, pause for three to five seconds and do that for three minutes. And I don't care whatever position works best, right? Like a lot of my athletes love to go up against a wall, lay on their back, feet up kind of up on the wall. So they kind of get that Venus return back to the heart and then just camp out there for three minutes. And you may not get like the biomechanical element of it, but you're definitely going to get the autonomic benefit because I think a lot of times what happens is you have a great training session, right? You just hit a PR or you just crushed it like metabolically and you're feeling good and the endorphins are high and then you move out of the gym and you just keep going, right? Versus taking that three minutes at the end, I think really kickstarts that that autonomic impact, right? You start to get the parasympathetic active, you start to chill out a little bit, it kickstarts the recovery process. So that's, it sounds super simple, right? Like, oh, what's three minutes of breathing going to do? But I think it makes a big impact in how people recover in between sessions, how they feel the rest of the day. So that's, I mean, if you want something simple and actionable that you can start doing right now, that's what I would suggest. Yeah, that's awesome stuff. That's, that's essentially what I have everyone do. I do myself is, is people don't realize your, your body basically is kind of in two modes and there's extremes of both, but you're in the stress mode, which is training obviously, or extreme periods of mental stress. And then you're in the recovery mode, which is, you know, a, a dial realistically. Um, and you want basically, I want to be in that stress state because that's how I'm going to produce more force and power and energy. But then I want to get in that recovery state as quickly as I possibly can after the workout's over to start that recovery process, like you mentioned. And breathing to me is kind of the easiest way to flip that switch or turn a dial, however you want to look at it, um, because it can tap in. It does tap in the autonomic nervous system and get that parasympathetic uh, recovery system started. And most importantly, it turns that sympathetic stress system down. And the worst thing I see people do all the time. Uh, you know, as they finish a workout and they go crush a bunch of stimulants, right? Like, oh, I'm, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm gassed out. I want to go take a bunch of stimulants. Or, you know, like the baseball player, yeah. like, finishes the game, then puts a dip in his mouth and goes to have some beers. Like, do you understand how much you've just destroyed your recovery, like, in a three-game series or a five-game series? Like, dude, you are absolutely wrecking yourself from, from day one. And I think people just don't recognize that. And that's actually, you know, maybe an interesting segue is when you start looking at data, and that's, you know, something I've done for – a long time. I know, Mike, you guys have dabbled in too. When you start seeing uh, with, with HRV and recovery tracking, all the stuff that's out now and, and Morpheus, obviously, you know, it, it gives people a, a visual of showing that that autonomic balance. And that's why I think those things are powerful when you can reinforce like, hey, look at your HRV the next day when you breathed after a workout and really spent the time to recover versus the days when you didn't. And that's where you can get people to buy in to these sorts of like, oh, it doesn't feel much. It's just three minutes of breathing. Well, right. when you can see visually, like, look, your HRV goes up the next day when you really recover well and it goes down when you don't uh you can get people to maybe buy that concept of just how these little things whether it feels insignificant or not can add up to a whole lot better recovery and ultimately better results because recovery becomes a limiting factor in a lot of people's training in my experience uh because they're trying to just out train their their body's ability to recover and that's where you get 
uh, all kinds of problems that we can discuss a whole other show. But I think if people are using any sort of tracking like this and they start incorporating these breeding drills, you know, they will see the benefit because I've seen it time and time again doing it myself and, and looking at data on our end. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about data, right, is all of a sudden you take something that up to this point has been very wishy-washy and subjective and you've made it objective. Right. And so people people have asked me because we don't use VBT or velocity based training a ton at our gym because I don't think, frankly, a lot of people need it. There are certain people that absolutely do. And some of my higher end performers I use it with. But the great thing about VBT is that when I prescribe a, a training zone for somebody to work in, there is no more arguments. Right. As to what is heavy enough for that day. It's like, look, Either you get it in this zone or you don't. And if you don't, it's too heavy, right? And that's the great thing. Like, you know, when you talk about objectivity, like, look, either your recovery is improving and your HRV is improving or it's not. And so then it's it's not this subjective, oh, but I feel good today. Well, that's fine. I don't, and not to, not to downplay the subjective, but I think there has to be a balance there. And when everything you do and all your decision-making is subjective, now you're going to run into a problem because at some point, and we've all had this client, they're not going to be honest with you. They're going to, oh, I'm doing great. Oh, I'm getting nine hours of sleep a night. And then now you can look at objective data and see, oh, no, they're really not. Yeah, I think a lot of people aren't, aren't honest with themselves, to be honest with you, yes. because yes. Uh, it's just yeah. cognitive bias. If you if you dig into a lot of the, the social sciences and some of the biases, we are very biases to, biased towards ourselves. We, we overestimate our own ability. Uh, there's, like, there's research basically like people – if you ask them how likely other people are to get diseases versus themselves to get diseases, even though statistically like they're the same or greater than other people, they will dramatically downplay their own risk of getting diseases. Like we tend to just be very biased towards ourselves and in our own minds. So I think we're we're much more likely in studies too. Like we're just not the best judges of things. Like there's studies where you put somebody on a treadmill and then you take them to a buffet and ask them to eat the same number of calories they, they think they just burned and they end up eating like four times as many calories as they actually just burned. <laughs> so we're not not to downplay that you know there is value in subjectivity, but I think in general the average person is is not the best judge of themselves or anything else because they're, they're just it's a skill set that has to be developed over a long period of time. And someone who's been in sports their entire life and carefully monitored and done this is a whole different ball game than your average person who just gets up off the couch a few days and goes to the gym. Like uh, you know, I think that's where data becomes really reliable and powerful because it does give us these objective measures to, to help filter some of those like, Oh yeah, I totally slept great last night. Well, uh, no, you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Your numbers aren't showing that, you know, I think, I think we can use data to tell that story in a, in a powerful way that gives us just a much more clear and objective picture of, of what people are doing and what people aren't necessarily doing in a way that makes coaches jobs easier. And frankly, it makes the person's job, uh, better as well because now they can they can see a more accurate picture and make better decisions versus just their gut instincts. Yes. Well, and ultimately, look, the whole goal is to get better results, right? So if I have less work on my part and it's easier to be objective and now my client is getting better results, like there may be a transition period where they get used to it because it's different. But once you get past that, most people that you work with want to get better results. There are a handful that don't. And and that's a whole nother story and a whole nother show and not one that I'm qualified to talk about. But, <laughs> you know, most most of your rational people that you work with want to get better results. So if you have a way that's going to help them do that, they're going to buy it. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, 
I get questions from coaches all the time about, you know, I don't know about you, but it's like, how do I get people to buy into me? How do I get people to follow my advice and my program? I'm like, produce some results. Like, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty simple. Like, if I'm paying you money and I'm getting stronger or leaner or faster, like, I'm going to keep paying you money. I'm going to keep coming back to you. But at the same time, I think there's a flip side to that, you know, like that does put you on the hook and you are accountable to them to do that. So you damn well better give them realistic expectations because I think, this is just kind of an inherent problem with coaching is like, I'm a coach, you know, I want to hire you. I want you to hire me as your, your, your coach. And I want you to become my client or I want you to hire me to train your team or whatever the case may be. We have a tendency to overpromise results and because, you know, we're selling ourselves or we, we know we want you to sign up. The biggest mistake you can make is to do that because now you've set people's expectations in a way that's totally unrealistic. Like, no, yeah. you're, you're not going to lose 15 pounds of fat the first month I train you. You know, you're not going to blast four inches in your biceps unless you go to Costa Rica and eat avocados. Like, it's not going <laughs> to happen, right? So if you if you tell people what they want to hear and then the reality of what is real sets in because they don't hit those things, you will lose them. They will walk away. You will lose their trust. You will you will lose them. I would much rather tell someone, like, look, this is this is not – fitness is not an overnight uh, thing. Like, this is not the lottery and you're not going to win it. Like, this is going to take consistent hard work both inside the gym and outside the gym. It's going to be a process. We're going to chip away at the things that are keeping you from reaching results, whether that's sleep, whether that's your, your diet, whether that's how you handle mental stress, whether that's the training side. And we're going to gradually work on all these things until you get yourself where you want to be. And we're going to do it in a sustainable fashion because fitness is not a four-week race or a 30-day race. Uh, this is a lifestyle. and This is a journey that we're going to take. And I'm going to make realistic promises, and I'm going to deliver on those promises as long as you deliver on your end. You do what you, you, do what you need to do, and I'll help you do it. What do you need to do in the gym? And we're going to work together. Like if you, if you set that conversation from the start and you follow with fall through on what you tell people, you will get buy-in. People will listen to you and people will follow your advice. And when they screw up, they'll recognize it. You know, like, oh, yeah, I, I haven't been sleeping very well. Now. I need to do a better job of turning Netflix off or yeah, my diet's really been shit. I need to really buckle down and do it, right? Like they'll be honest about their shortcomings. But if you put the entire weight of their fitness on your shoulders and you make promises you can't keep, that's the worst way to get by and that's the greatest way in the world to have turnover, high turnover and lose people all the time. So I think it's just a mis mistake I see people making all the time, especially in the social media age. You know, we're, we're trying to always outdo everybody in this problem who can promise the biggest results or who can show the most bullshit and claim it's, uh, you know, it's going to work for you because it's added 10 pounds to my ass or whatever. Like it's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of the world we're living in. But you just, you, you, if you're a coach out there and you want to know how do I, become successful like you deliver the results that you promise you're going to deliver and you do it consistently and you work with people at both inside the gym and the outside the gym to do that because both factors are driving those results so if you can follow that formula i guarantee you people will listen to you they'll follow your advice and they'll keep coming back to work with you and they'll tell their friends to do the same thing yep well joel what about the six-figure funnel in six weeks doesn't that exist for fitness professionals yeah totally it's called, it's, called take, it's called take every doll you have and put a lottery and give yourself six weeks or until you go broke or win. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to go, if we can, I want to touch on what we were talking about, the object, objectivity versus subjectivity, right? And now that more and more data is available um, for, you know, consumers and fitness professionals, how, what do you think the hunger is for that objectivity? Like, do you, and I guess let's start with the fitness profession. How hungry do you think coaches are to get the data and start utilizing it? Um, do you think, you know, the effects of the pandemic has really kind of, you know, lean, had people lean more on technology or wh what are you guys foreseeing in that area? You want to jump in, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think 
I think there is a certain subset that is always going to be driven towards that, right? Like some people just maybe the opposite of the people that Joel was talking about, like the people that don't want to have honest conversations or want to be subjective and wishy-washy, like those people aren't going to trend towards that. But I think people that, that want to rely on science, that want to continue to push the envelope, um, that have clients that are challenging, right? And look, not to say that they're challenging like interpersonally, right? Like some people just have issues that we don't know about, right? Or they're not sleeping great and we need more information or we can't figure out why their HRV is trash even though they're doing all the right things. So I think it, it gives us a tool now to be objective, to dig deeper, to get more answers, to ask better questions and, and to help us maybe solve some of these tougher cases. Because look, like there are plenty of people out there where if you give them a sound training program, a sound nutritional program, you give them some guidelines with the recovery, they go out and they crush it. And, you know, that's great. Like, I wish I had all those people, but it doesn't always work like that. There are certain people where you're giving them a lot of the right tools and you feel like your exercise program matches what they need. They're doing the things nutrition wise and recovery wise that you feel like they need to be doing, but they're still not seeing the results, or maybe they're not seeing it at the rate that they would like, or that you would expect. Those are the coaches that are going to love this stuff, right? Because now they've got more layers to the onion to peel back and they can keep digging deeper and figure out, well, what is going on with this person? Or, you know, maybe it's not something you can solve. You know, there's certain people where we've been working together for six months, 12 months, maybe even longer. And, and I haven't been able to figure certain things out. Okay. Well, maybe we need you to get with a functional med doc. And we need to get some blood work ran because you have stuff going on that is beyond my pay grade. So I think that's what's exciting about this. And look, it's easy for Joel and I to, to kind of have this conversation because we've done this so long. It's harder when you're young and you want to prove to the world that you're the best and you have all the answers. But I think the longer you do this, the more you understand, hey, I don't have all the answers. I'd like to think I have a handful. But there are also things that there's people there are people out there that are better than me that can still help me do a good job. And, and ultimately, when you take a step back and realize it's not so much about me, it's about the client or athlete standing in front of me and getting the, the result for them that they they want and they desire, then it's a lot easier. But you know, to circle back, I think coaches that want objectivity, that want to be able to dig deeper and, and have a better understanding of what's going on with their clients and athletes, those are the people that are going to trend towards this stuff. Yeah, you know, I, I, the easiest way I can explain this is to kind of give a, a flying story. But basically, when I started flying airplanes back in '93, uh, and oh, you wow. want to get, you want to get, yeah, that makes sense. It shows how old I really am. Uh, when you wanted to get from point A to point B, it was complicated. Like you literally had to pull out this giant sectional chart. You had to draw on the map where you wanted to go. You tried to had to get weather reports and calculate the, the the angle you should crab into the wind to account for that. We didn't have GPS, so when you took off from the ground, you had to use what called VORs and the tune-in frequencies. Like, it was a pain in the ass to go from point A <laughs> to point B. Like, it was the most inefficient process in the world, but you did it because that's how you got from point A to point B if you were going somewhere new. Like, that was just the process. And then fast forward now, we have this app called ForeFlight on our iPads so that I would say 90-plus percent of pilots out there use because it's got basically GPS, it's got the moving map, it shows me how fast I am, it shows me the wind, it shows me uh, you know, the ground speed, it shows me everything I need to know about the airport and the runways and the frequencies. Like 
it just shows me everything I need to know to get from point A to point B. And when you like compare the experience of what it was like to navigate and fly when I was growing up to using ForeFlight right now, like ForeFlight replaces $200,000 in avionics to what existed back then. And even then it was clunky. And it's in the palm of my hand. It's in a freaking iPad. I can see everything I need to see. I can track my flight log. I can share my flight log. I can do just an insane amount of things. And I would never go back to flying without it. Like I would never go back to the old school way of flying 20 years ago when I can put four flight in my lap and I can navigate anywhere I want, see the frequencies, call people, get the rest. I mean, you can literally see so much information and your decision making is so much easier. You save so much time and you get there faster because it's just a much better experience and process. To me, that's where I think we're headed with all this data. We, we need to get to that point where people go, man, I can't imagine being a coach or a trainer or a professional without having access to people's data outside the gym. And same thing from the client. Like, oh, I can't imagine going to the gym and my client or my trainer not knowing anything about me and having no idea what I was doing and having no way to track whether or not I'm actually improving. Because when it comes right down to it, 95% of the fitness industry is guessing, uh, to be honest. And the better coaches are just better guessers based on their experience and tuition than the worst coaches. And the clients are doing the same thing. Like, they're just guessing. Like, they don't know why they get better or why they don't get better. Like, sometimes my weight goes up. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes my condition improves. Sometimes it doesn't. But if you really ask them to explain, well, why? Like, I don't know. They're, they're just guessing. So I think ultimately it's it's just got to get to that point, And it will eventually get to that point where data and lifestyle tracking and all this recovery and all the metrics that we're trying to pull into Morpheus or we are pulling Morpheus, all those things are going to make the experience of coaching and make the experience of training just so much better and just such a more efficient process that we'll be able to answer these questions. Well, here's why you're not getting better. Uh, you know, here's the thing that's keeping you from improving your strength. And here's the thing that's keeping you from, uh, from hitting the goals that you're trying to set. Like, it'll be obvious. Like it won't be this big guessing game. It'll be like, Oh, look, here's what's happening. Like, here's how we can fix that. I think this will, we'll get to that point where these technologies and these data uh, driven approaches and the education that supports those We'll just make everything so much better. You'd be like, why the hell did I train before this? Or how did, how did I ever do this, right? Like, how did I ever go to the library and search through a damn index card to find a book? Like, because that's kind of what, that, that's basically what we're doing. Like, we're sorting through a needle and haystack to try to figure out why people are getting better or not getting better. Versus, like, I can just use the technology and I can have those conversations. I can solve problems infinitely faster. So, and that's a long-winded answer. But I think ultimately... You know, that's where technology is going to take us. It's going to make our jobs as fitness professionals infinitely easier. Uh, it's going to allow us to pinpoint the problems and the things that are keeping people from reaching their goals. It's going to help us make better decisions. And it's going to keep the clients on the right path because they're going to see what's happening uh, just like we are. So I, th I think that's where we're headed. We're not there, obviously, yet, but we're, we're definitely on that train. I think we'll get there over the next, you know, three, five, 10, 20 years and beyond. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's such great points. And I, I always go back to, I always just imagine myself doing consultations in my office in the gym with clients. And if I had had something that had all this data, it would have changed the dynamic of the conversation as well, right? It would have been from me asking, hey, Mike, you know, you said you're going to work on eight hours of sleep a night. Is that working? And it becomes like an inquisitory thing versus now if you just had the data sitting in front of you, you could both look at it or you can look at it now and just be like, hey, this is what we see, right? And now it becomes a team working on it together versus like you trying to pull information from people. And it's just, yeah, it's just a much better human to human dynamic. Yeah. I mean, look, I think yeah. they have, sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, I, no go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think the problem right now too is the average coach or trainer has no concept of how important these things are because they've never seen it, right? Like, you, you know, like, oh yeah, sleep's important. You know, breathing's important. Like recovery, relaxation, like those are important, right? But you don't really know 
that those are really the make or break things for the majority of people. Like the majority of people, I can get you better results by fixing your diet, nutrition, and just keeping your workouts consistent than I can by writing some super complicated periodization model with every set and rep accounted for, every single rest period measured. Like, no, that shit doesn't work. Like what works is being consistent in your training, managing your volume intensity, and then putting all the pieces together outside the gym and doing those things over and over again. Like that's what works. But people don't recognize that because they can't see the numbers and they don't have any way to track all these things outside the gym. So they don't realize that that's where most people are failing. And I started to realize that early on with HRV when I would like have these Microsoft clients and I would drill their, I'd spend hours writing their damn training programs. And I would think like, oh, this is going to be sweet. This, this new periodization model based on Verkashansky's block loading, like this is going to work so well. And then it turned out like they were in a deadline for a product launch and they were sleeping five hours a night and stressed out of their goddamn minds. They're working 18 hours. Like that went to shit real fast. It didn't work because they could never recover from that load. Like all the models and all the loading, all the sweating over the details don't mean anything if the lifestyle doesn't support it. And that's where I think we just don't have a good grasp as most trainers that if you don't fix those things and you don't work to fix those things, then it doesn't matter how many sets and reps you're doing. Like those are small details in this giant puzzle. So I think once people start to actually open their eyes up and see like, holy shit, like their sleep is driving them into the ground. Like my training is not going to do anything until I fix that or their diet is just so bad that until I get them back on some normal sense of caloric management and, you know, consistency in their routines, like my program has to take a backseat to fixing those things. So I'm not to, not to minimize the job of a fitness professional, but I think we need to redefine what a fitness professional does. Because like, if it's, if all you do is a fitness professional's right sets and reps and rest intervals and exercises, ultimately you're going to be left behind because you've got to do more than that to get people results. And I think that's what we're going to see happening. Awesome. Mike, did you have any additional thoughts on that? Well, I, I was just, I love that answer. So I was just going to kind of let it be, <laughs> but yeah, that's really good. It's really good. And I like that idea of, of what a fitness professional is evolving. Cause I think we need to, for a lot of reasons, but I think the great thing that it's going to allow us to is just give us this level of transparency that we've never had before. Right. And I think that in one hand could be scary to a lot of people because as Joel alluded to, I don't think they're being honest with themselves but man, if they are willing to be honest and transparent in this process, how much better results can we get people? I mean, that's that's what drove me in 2000. That's why I got into this industry. It's what still drives me now is like, man, that's the name of the game. How can we get people better results for our gin pop people? Can we help them build muscle or shed body fat or improve their conditioning for our athletes? Can we improve their durability, keep them on the court more often? Like that's that's still exciting to me, like 21 years later. So that level of transparency that we're going to have available to us here very shortly is exciting. Very yeah. exciting. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think the biggest thing, like you just mentioned, is it does it comes down to producing results. And the reality is, like, coaching can be a grind, uh, and training can be a grind if you're on either side of it. Like, the day in, the day out, I go to the gym, I work, I go home, I eat, I go sleep. Like, it is a grind, but it's only worth it if you are producing results, you know? And I've been yep. – very fortunate to be in world title fights and be on sidelines of NFL games and be at the Super Bowl. And, you know, I've had all these amazing opportunities because I've been able to see these people grow and improve and achieve something, you know, to watch Demetrius Johnson go from an amateur to uh, one of the best, you know, if not, not the best fighter of all time to be a part of that journey uh, was, was absolutely amazing. So I can tell you as a coach or a trainer, like maybe you don't always make as much money as you'd like to, and maybe you work more hours than you want to. And maybe that's part of the job at some point. But it's worth it when you help people transform their lives. It's not just like, you know, an athlete achieving a world title. It's somebody finally fitting the clothes they haven't been for 10 years or somebody hit a PR they've been trying for the last five years to hit 
or somebody finally getting out of pain and telling you how they can move again without without hurting. Like those are rewarding things, not just for the client, but for you as their coach because you help them achieve that. So to me, that's what this field is all about. It's about finally helping people achieve something, and that's what all this hard work comes down to. So if you're putting in all this work every day at the gym, or you're a coach and you're and you're spending all your days training people, like if you're not getting the results, this job sucks. <laughs> like I don't want to put in that many hours and get paid minimum wage to watch somebody fail. Like that's a terrible job. Uh, you know, I want to do whatever I can possibly do to watch them succeed and make sure that they're on the right track to to be successful with with my coaching and you know and their uh, they're part of the deal too. So I, I think we just, you know, you've got to produce results and this is such a key piece of it. I just don't think you can ignore it. And, and ultimately, once you do start seeing success, this job is a hell of a lot better. You know, it's it's a whole lot more fun to see people win and to see people succeed and to see people hit their goals and talk to you about it and come, in, come to the gym super excited or leave the gym calling their friends. They just did something they never thought they could do. Like those moments are are, are worse, the, the job and the headaches that are associated with it. Yeah. No, that was great. I'm, I feel very uplifted. Yeah. Right? Let's go train. Let's go work let's out. Do that. Joel Jameson, <laughs> motivational speaker. Yeah, let's chew some glass. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, I know we're uh, we're cutting into your 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 dinner time, man. I mean, this has been an uh, an amazing, and I have no doubt that you'll you'll come back on and, and talk to us some more from Morpheus Radio. But uh, give us some insights, like what's going on in your world. What uh, where can people go if they want to find out more about you or learn from you? What uh, yeah, give us the goods, man. Yeah, so I, I always like to think there's uh, two routes, right? So you can go to robertsontrainingsystems.com. Uh, I think that started in 2006. There's literally thousands, plural, of pieces of content up there between articles, blogs, old newsletters, podcasts, videos, like everything is housed there. So if you just want free stuff and you want to learn more about what I do, go there. Uh, if you want the certification, you want to learn more about the systems that we use at iFast and that I use with my clients and athletes, you can go to completecoachcertification.com and kind of learn more about that there. So we launch twice a year. So yeah, there's multiple options there. And Mike, Mike plugged Recover to Win um, and I can't plug his stuff highly enough. You know, if you are a fitness professional or you are just someone who wants to, to work out, I, I really think the the stuff that you and Bill put together is is the best in the game. And for anyone who wants to learn the breathing side, you know, Mike's certification is, is awesome. Um, and I guarantee you this stuff, again, it comes down to what are these people done? Who are they? What their experience? Well, Mike and Bill have the, the credentials. They have the experience. The reputation speaks for themselves. Uh, and they are my go-to resources for a lot of these areas around movement and breathing. And, and uh, you know, we bounce ideas like each other's heads all the time. So, you know, if you are looking for someone to trust, Mike and Bill, 100%, I trust them. I turn to them myself. So if you're on the fence about who to listen to, I, I you're listening to me right now for some reason. Uh, you listen to them. So they're 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 both awesome, and you will you'll definitely not go wrong if you start that rabbit hole of all the articles, videos, and stuff that Mike's put out because it's it's great stuff. Thanks, man. That makes me feel real good about myself. Yeah, you want to hug? Yeah, I feel really good about yeah, that. I'm not even involved. It's like a group hug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you guys, thank you. Uh, thank you for all the information and insights today. It's been it's been great. I'm sure a lot of people will get a lot of value out of this. And uh, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Robertson. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate clap, it. Clap, 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 clap. Hey, friends, don't leave yet. We wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of Morpheus Radio. If you enjoyed it and you got value out of it, we asked you to do just a couple quick things. Number one, share. Put on social media. If you got value, then I'm sure all of your friends and colleagues will as well. Number two, go to wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, 
leave us a nice review and we will greatly appreciate it. We may even read it on air. Lastly, go to trainwithmorpheus.com. You can get more information about the Morpheus system as well as schedule a meeting or join the next challenge at trainwithmorpheus.com forward slash challenge. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.